Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. What a wild weekend for Penn State. I'm recording this late Saturday night, early Sunday morning after Penn State lost in the NCAA tournament to Texas. I'll have a whole bunch on that. The Penn State wrestling team won its 10th national championship under Kale Sanderson. We'll talk about that on the podcast as well. The Iowa mom, Spencer Lee's mom. Oh boy, I want to get into that. I've got a column up on it on uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports as well. Uh, so a lot to get to today. I want to start off with the basketball program and I'll get to the game in a little bit. They lost the game. You know that by now. I think what happens is a lot of people's attention is now going to turn to Micah Shrewsbury and what is going to happen with him. All right, so what do we know right now? Now, his name has come up in connection with Notre Dame and Georgetown. Do we know for sure that Notre Dame is highly interested in Micah Shrewsbury? No, we really don't. We've seen his name thrown out there a few times. At this stage right now, I think it's probably more likely that Georgetown might be interested in Micah Shrewsbury. But Georgetown is is an interesting situation because they have to wait, according to reports anyway, on what Ed Cooley from Providence is going to do. So I did some digging here. Ed Cooley's had a really good career at Providence. For for those of you who love college basketball, uh, you know the name Ed Cooley. It, but even if you know, even if you follow college basketball closely, you may not know a whole lot about Ed Cooley. He's at Providence, and Providence has had a good program. He was the national coach of the year in two thousand and uh, and what ten, I believe it was. Uh, for what he did at Providence. In NCAA tournament in 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Also went to the NCAA tournament last year and this year. This is Providence, folks. Providence, good program. Not necessarily a great blue blood program, but they've had success there. And he's done a tremendous job at Providence. All right, so what's interesting about the Georgetown situation and the Providence situation I found I was trying to see how much money Ed Cooley makes, and it looks like it's somewhere around three and a half million a year. I saw some different figures: three point two million, three point eight million. These schools, some of these schools, don't make these 
figures public. Penn State does not make it public what they're paying men's basketball coach. So we think Micah Shrewsbury is making $2 million a year. Pat Chambers was making $1 million a year when he was the coach. So Penn State has made a sizable commitment in, in bringing in Pat Chambers. That's what everybody wants to talk about right now. Oh, blank check. Give give Micah Shrewsbury a blank check. Pat Kraft and Penn State, they've got to do whatever they can to keep Micah Shrewsbury. Build him a statue, one, per, one person uh, wrote on Twitter. Okay, so how much is it going to take? If Georgetown is interested in Ed Cooley from Providence, and he's making roughly $3.5 million a year, Jeff Goodman reported that Georgetown would give him a little bit more than that. That means Georgetown's going to pay upwards of $4 million. million, whatever, throw out a number out. Micah Shrewsbury makes two, we think. So Ed Cooley's decision in the next few days, if he wants to take the Georgetown job, and they're going to throw $4 million or close to that at him, then great. By the way, that would open up the Providence job, (laughs) and Providence would probably be interested in Micah Shrewsbury. So just throwing that out there. But if Ed Cooley does not take the Georgetown job and Georgetown wants to come off for Micah Shrewsbury $3.5 million, can Penn State match that? Four or five years ago, Penn State was paying a basketball coach $1 million a year. Now they're paying Micah Shrewsbury, we believe, $2 million a year. Can they get in an arms race in college basketball? Folks, we talk about the arms race in college football all the time. And as big as Penn State is as a blue blood football program, they don't necessarily keep up in the financial arms race in football with everybody else. Can Penn State truly afford to get into an arms race in college basketball? Hey, look, I will sit here and say, I think they could find a way to give the guy $3 million. To go above $3 million, I mean, look, I, I, this is what separates Penn State from most other College athletic pro, uh, departments, as far as I know, Penn State is a self-sustaining athletic department. They pay for their 31 Division One sports within the athletic department. They don't seek mon- money from the general student fund at Penn State. So it's, it's, it's Penn State Athletics is its own self-contained business budgets, and they've got to pay for everything themselves. It, it's hard to have 31 sports. Well, first of all, period. It's just hard to have 31 sports. Like Alabama's got 21. I ran these numbers a couple weeks ago. LSU's got like 19. Some school I found has 16. Maybe LSU was the one with 16. Ohio State's got 38. That's a lot. You see what I'm getting at, okay? We can all sit here and say, well, Penn State's got to throw the Brinks truck at him to try to keep Michael Shrewsbury. I'd like to see that happen. I love college basketball. This NCAA tournament run was a lot of fun. But if Ed Cooley turns down Georgetown and Georgetown comes and offers Micah Shrewsbury $3.8 million, can Penn State match that? Should Penn State match that? That's where this whole thing gets really, really interesting. And I'm just talking about Georgetown, and I'm just talking about maybe over the next week or so. We could have an answer to this. You'll listen to this on Sunday. We could have an answer to this early in the week if Ed Cooley makes a decision and things could be moving rapidly. I do think Penn State will make a really big offer to Micah Shrewsbury. 
I think Penn State University is going to try to keep this coach. He's got a lot of momentum now, and I think Penn State is going to, they're going to look at the numbers and they're going to do the best they can to come up with the best number they can. What is that number? Is it 2.7 million? Is it 3 million? Is it 3.2 million? I don't think it's 3.5. I have, I would be floored beyond belief if it's 4 million. But here's the thing. We, we're never going to know these numbers. These numbers are not going to be made public. There might be some rumors and everything out there, but I just cannot envision Penn State coming up with close to 4 million. So then it's, does Michael want to stay at Penn State for 3, 3.2, 3.3, or go to Georgetown for 3.5, 3.7, or whatever? Again, if Ed Cooley goes to Georgetown, now the Providence job is open. Micah just spent six years with the Celtics not too long ago. Providence has got a lot more basketball tradition than Penn State. Again, I just ran through these NCAA tournaments. They've been to the tournament one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times since 2013. They've been to the NCAA tournament seven times since 2013. This year was Penn State's first time since 2011. So if you want to say, well, how good of a job is Providence? Well, significantly better than Penn State with a much easier path to the NCAA tournament out of the Big East compared to the Big Ten. What does Micah Shrewsbury want to do? I have no idea. You have no idea. I mean, we've dealt with this with James Franklin before with constantly having his name out there for various jobs. And and here's what I think is going to happen. Even if Micah Shrewsbury stays at Penn State this year for one more year, agrees to three, three and a half, whatever it is, if he has success next year, somebody else is going to come calling for him next year. Can Penn State get in a bidding war every year for basketball? For basketball. We're not talking football. Penn State's a football squad. I know it's an exciting time. It's March. They almost made the Sweet 16. Uh, I'm going to talk about the game in the second segment. And Micah did a really good job. But what's the reality at Penn State? I talked on the podcast last week. Penn State should do whatever it can to try to keep him. And look, folks, I do believe Penn State is going to do whatever it can to try to keep him. Within reason. So I'm giving you these numbers. You know, if Georgetown comes calling at 3.8 million, I don't think I I don't know that Georgetown's a better job than Penn State right now. That may some of you may laugh at that. Traditionally, Georgetown has been a a power, but that you know that program is a giant mess. Is he going to want to take that on? Well, it is Georgetown. He is an African American coach. Georgetown has had tremendous success with John Thompson, the late John Thompson, uh, a, a program uh, that's had a lot of success recruiting-wise, sending guys to the NBA. Uh, there's a lot of pride and tradition at Georgetown. And so, um, yeah, you know, I can totally see the, George, the allure of Georgetown being very appealing uh, to, to a coach. So uh, what's going to happen with Micah? I really don't know. I'm recording this late Saturday. I hope we have an answer by Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I mean, once Ed Cooley makes his decision, a lot of dominoes may start to fall then. Because once he, once people know what he's going to do, now Georgetown can move on. Notre Dame is still in the mix there. You would think, I think Micah would be a better fit at Notre Dame 
being an Indianapolis, being an Indiana guy. Uh, but but regardless of his Georgetown or Notre Dame or Providence, when you have the kind of success that he just had in year two at Penn State, people are going to come calling. Penn State is going to, I do believe, make the best offer it can. But if Micah Shrewsbury leaves, I don't think you can blame Penn State. I'll close with this. If Micah Shrewsbury leaves, I, it depends on, I mean, if they're offering 2.6, well, yeah, now you can blame Penn State. But if word trickles out at some point that they offered three and he just decided to go somewhere else, uh, I don't think you can look at Penn State and say they're not committed. The guy coaching five years ago was making a million. If they offer Micah three and that's not enough, I mean, you are Penn State. You're losing your whole team, most most of your team next year. We'll see about Seth Lundy. There's no guarantees next year is going to be a successful year. This could have been a one-shot deal for Michael Shrewsbury. Maybe it's not. But the bottom line is I do think Penn State will make a big offer and it'll be up to Micah to decide if he wants to take it or not. All right, what a very interesting and entertaining basketball game between Penn State and Texas Saturday night. Texas ends up winning 71-66. We've said all season long Penn State's going to live by the three or die by the three. Well, tonight they died by the three, uh, eight of 28 from three. Andrew Funk, two of 10 from three. Andrew Funk had a great, great opener and I don't want to just overlook the open the, the the first round win over Texas A&M because this is I only get one podcast a week here. That was a sensational performance by Penn State against Texas A&M. They came out and beat the holy tar out of out of Texas A&M. It was just an absolute uh, butt whooping up and down both ends of the court. And I, I was stunned. I thought Texas A&M would have a better plan than that. Buzz Williams is a good coach. They came out completely unprepared for Jalen Pickett in Penn State. And Andrew Funk goes for eight threes and 27 points, hitting eight out of 10 from deep. Well, he comes out against Texas, two out of 10. And a very, very important sequence in the final five minutes of the game. I have this broken down in the story on the website Missed a wide open three, missed a wide open three, missed another three. Boy, if he just makes one of those, the score was, this is after Penn State had come all the way back, taken a 58 to 55 lead. And I think they're up 58 57 when Funk missed the first wide open three. Then he had another wide open, then another. Uh, boy, if he makes one of those, how things could have gone. If he makes two of those, Penn State, I think, wins the game. That's the, I mean, we're talking. Eight of 28 from three. If they make two more, maybe they win that game. Yes, they lost by six, but circumstances are different. Things might have played out differently with the foul game and everything in the final minute. But it just goes to show uh, you live by the three, you die by the three. We knew it all year long, but it wasn't just that in this loss to Texas. Penn State got exposed from a size and strength standpoint. And, and I give Texas credit. They had a great game plan 
on Jalen Pickett. The reason Booty Ball is effective is because Jalen Pickett is a bigger point guard, 6'4", 209. He's bigger and stronger than most guards. Texas didn't guard him with a guard. They guarded him with a forward, 6'6", 210-pound forward, Timmy Allen, who just did a sensational job. Uh, You know, Penn State did all this. This kind of goes back a little bit to the first segment about Micah Shrewsbury. Do you want to just give the guy everything that he wants because he had one good run at the end of a season after starting five and nine in the Big Ten? Is it sustainable what Penn State did? I hate the word fluke. I don't like, I don't like using the word fluke. I think a little bit of what Penn State did down the stretch was a gimmick that may not be sustainable with other personnel in the future. Are they going to get another six foot four, 209 pound point guard who plays exceptionally well and patiently backing his way to the basket? playing booty ball while being surrounded by a whole bunch of good three-point shooters. That's the that's this perfect storm kind of scenario that made Penn State very difficult to guard late in the season when they really went strong to the booty ball. All right, and so I give Micah Shrewsbury a lot of credit for coming up with that and seeing that it could work, and then they really exploited it. You go watch the Texas A&M game, it was pathetic how Texas A&M tried to defend it. It's like they had watched no game film whatsoever and were completely clueless about booty ball. That's ridiculous. Against Texas, they throw a six foot six, two hundred ten pound forward on Jalen Pickett, and it changed the whole dynamic of Penn State. Uh, they were still no look. They were still getting good shots. Andrew Funk was getting good shots, good, not wide open throughout the game, but very good looks. He had good look, better looks that he missed against Texas than some of the looks that he made against Texas A&M, but they didn't fall. And so when you've got Jalen Pickett getting bottled up inside, he only scored 11 points, five of 13 from the field, seven turnovers. Wow. Five in the first half, seven turnovers. That's a tough way for him to end his college career, but that's why Penn State, that's a big reason why Penn State lost. The booty ball didn't really work. Texas defended it well, and then Penn State didn't hit enough threes. And on the other side, Texas's Dylan DeSue had a tremendous game, 28 points, 14 field goals, had some huge shots down the stretch after Penn State had taken the 58-55 to lead. With 4.50 to go. Uh, Disu just made, made some inside shots and a, and a jumper. Six foot nine. Penn State doesn't have a center. Uh, Micah didn't have an answer for him today. You know, I'm guessing Micah will maybe try to maybe kick himself a little bit for not coming up with a better answer on the big guy for Texas. But I mean, hey, look, Penn State's limited in its personnel. Uh, Kebajai did not score. You know, he's not for as much talent he is he and potential as he has. He's still a freshman and he's still kind of raw and he just wasn't he wasn't a factor really much in this game. And so uh, these things came together to kind of haunt Penn State. Texas had an answer for booty ball. Funk goes two for 10. If he goes four for 10, maybe they win. And then Texas is scoring 
inside the paint with their big guy on the other side. So, hey, Texas is just a better team. You know, Penn State has a nice little has a nice little gimmick that it could do with Pickett getting in the lane and finding the shooters. And that's a difficult, difficult style to play if the other team does not have that one guy that they can match up with Pickett and kind of body up with him whenever he gets in the lane. Well, Texas had it. Penn State lost. And uh, but still a rough game, struggled offensively, still took a 58 to 55 lead. I'll close this segment by asking you this. If you were watching the game, when Penn State went up 58-55, it was a 10-0 run. Did you think they were going to win the game? Because I did. The the way this season has just kind of been magical these last few weeks, and with the experience Penn State has, when they got up 58-55, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, they're going to find a way to get this done. They're going to make a big shot or two down the stretch. Uh it just it just didn't happen. Texas really closed strong. That's why they're a two seed. That's why they won the Big 12 tournament championship. Uh, and they're the best Big 12 team standing. Kansas is gone. Kansas was my pick for the uh, <laughs> national championship. I also had Purdue in the final four. So let me spend a minute about Purdue and the Big 10. What an absolute joke. An absolute joke. And humiliating and embarrassing for Matt Painter. Give me a break. You look at Matt Painter's NCAA tournament history, losing to a 13 seed, a 15 seed, now a 16 seed. Goodness gracious. Purdue epitomizes the problems with the Big Ten from an NCAA tournament standpoint. The Big Ten is set up to be good in your league against this big rough physical style of play that the Big Ten plays. And when these teams get into the tournament, they stink. No national champion from the Big Ten since 2000 when Michigan State won. And there won't be one this year. And Purdue, as a one seed losing, look, fairly Dickinson, I've covered the, I covered the Northeast Conference for 20 years. St. Francis of Loretto's in the Northeast. I've been to Fairleigh Dickinson. Fairleigh Dickinson beat St. Francis in the NEC semifinals, which got them to the NCAA tournament because that league's regular, that league's winner, conference tournament winner, Merrimack could not go to the tournament because they're a new, they're a new uh, team in the league. So they're, they weren't allowed. Anyway, a tiny little team like Fairleigh Dickinson, you've got a seven foot four guy in Zach Eady. You, you think you've got some good shooters. Purdue went ice cold, couldn't get the ball to Edie. Uh, just a disgrace. And now, I, here's the thing. I want to give FDU credit. I really do. If a 16 seed beats a one seed, I want to give them credit. But I can't. That's disgraceful from Purdue. It's an absolute disgrace and, and humiliating to Matt Painter, to the Big Ten. to to they were, they were the number one team in the country for a good bit of the year. Playing outstanding, they peaked probably too early. Teams kind of figured out a way to play against them a little bit. But man, I, when when UMBC beat Virginia a few years ago, the first sixteen to beat a one, Virginia didn't shoot well. That was Virginia's issue. They played good defense, but didn't shoot well at the time. And, and UMBC came out and made a bunch of shots, and that was the way to beat Virginia. I didn't necessarily think. I, I thought we could see a, see it again at some point. I thought it might be a long time, though, to be honest with you, because 
I thought the UMBC Virginia would send enough of a strong message to number one seeds that you'd better damn well not overlook anybody. And here we are just a few years later, uh, FDU gets it done. So good for FDU from the tiny conference, but that's just disgraceful for, for Purdue. And Matt Painter, man, I know he's had a lot of success. And we need to be careful to not be overly critical of some people when they do have a lot of success because Matt Painter is a really, really good coach. But he's lost to a 13 seed, a 15 seed, and a 16 seed, I think, within the last four or five years. That's got to be questioned. If you're the university, if you're the media there, if you're the fan base there, you've really, really, really got to hold Matt Painter very much accountable. Winning the Big Ten championship in the tournament, that's great. They had a a great season, all right? They were number one seed. They had a great season. But when when you get to that point and you're you're choking that badly in the NCAA tournament every year man he, he's he's got a lot of questions to answer i think Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. The inevitable happened over the weekend. The Penn State wrestling team won its 10th national championship under Kale Sanderson out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Was not close. Penn State destroyed uh, the competition out there. Penn State finished. Their team score was 137 and a half points, 137 and a half points. 55 points ahead of second place Iowa. That is incredible. That's just a staggering number. Uh, just an incredible margin of victory uh, between first and second is the largest in Penn State history and the fifth largest in NCAA history for any title winner. So uh, now what's interesting is Penn State did all that and only had two national individual national champions. I say only, that's that's impressive, but you're kind of used to four, you know, a, five, a fifth guy maybe. But uh, uh, Carter Starachi, Aaron Brooks, uh, each winning a third individual national title. Some other guys lost. Roman Bravo Young lost in the finals. Uh, freshman Levi Hain lost in the finals. Greg Kirkvliet lost in the finals. Um, and so Penn State had, what, uh, seven semifinalists. Uh, five finalists. That's what they just racked up points left and right in the tournament. And that's why they were able to go on and, and win really easily. They had wrapped up the team championship Saturday morning, uh, pretty early on Saturday morning uh, during the action, well before the finals. So, uh, just, it's just an unstoppable dynasty right now, folks. Uh, Kale Sanderson's 10th national title, Penn State's 10th in the last 12. Uh, contended uh, uh, year seasons, uh, and it's just it's hard to it's hard to see it ending because Iowa will lose some people, Penn State's going to lose some people too. But you just keep on keeping on with guys like Levi Haynes, and, and I'm sure the recruiting will be tremendous. So we'll be talking next year about Penn State going for championship number eleven. But one thing you don't want to do, and I'm kind of doing here a little bit, is you kind of poo poo the awesomeness of 
this dynasty because they say, ah, well, they, they were going to win. It was inevitable. They win by 55 points. It can overshadow just how incredible that this run is. Um, they don't, they, they didn't just beat people. They they just destroy uh, these other, these other teams in this competition. And I, I'm not going to sit here and break down a bunch of individual matches. I watch some of the wrestling. I watch basketball most of the weekend, to be honest with you. Uh, nobody, I don't think, is sitting here listening to me, hoping that I'm going to break down individual matches and why this guy won and that guy didn't win. I mean, it's that that's not what I'm going to do. I do think there is a more fascinating discussion, really, uh, coming out of the uh, NCAA championships, and that was Spencer Lee and his mother now I've got a column on this at DK Pittsburgh sports. You can go read it. I'll just basically uh, ask you what you think of her reaction. She Spencer Lee got pinned. It was an unbelievable upset, a stunning upset. One of the great college wrestlers ever at 125. Two-time Hodge winner was going for his fourth national championship. He would have become the first or the first Iowa wrestler ever with four national titles individual. Uh, and he was denied. He loses in the semifinals to the kid from Purdue. And Spencer Lee's mom just goes absolutely bananas. She's watching. She rips off her gr- glasses. She crumbles up her glasses and throws them on the ground. Uh, if you have not seen the video, go see the video. You can go on social media or Twitter. Uh, just Google or Spencer Lee mom. And so the question I ask, is that reaction appropriate? Or is that reaction just a, a temper tantrum? like a toddler would throw when they don't get their way. I've, I've got a good column up. I don't, I don't want to go, uh, I don't want to you know, take all the, the thoughts from my column and just throw them here in, in the podcast. But I would ask you this. This wasn't just some kid losing some game or some match. What I told you about the history, he was trying to become the first Iowa kid ever with four individual national titles. That would have immortalized him. Wrestlers, wrestlers are a different breed. They, whatever commitment athletes have to make to their sport, you can double, triple, quadruple it for what, for the commitment wrestlers have to make at their sport in terms of just what they have to put themselves, their bodies and their families through. So I will admit I laugh at the video of his mom every time. Maybe you laugh. Maybe you want a ripper. Maybe you have sympathy for. I would just say, all things being equal, uh, I, I cut them a little bit of slack. Um, it's not like he lost in the second round, and uh, you know, and he was aiming for his first national title. All things being equal, with what he was going for, that's uh, I don't know. I, I I at first thought, wow, what a crybaby, what a sore loser. Then I got to thinking about how I might react if my kid were in that situation. And I would ask you to maybe react, you know, think about that part of it as well. Hey, we got through, this might be the second podcast in what we're in a row. We didn't talk much football. I don't think we had much football last week, but uh, no football this week. We'll, we'll have uh, Penn State Pro Day coming up on Friday. Get a chance to look at some of the guys headed to the NFL draft and uh, maybe, maybe get some final thoughts from. Sean Clifford or what have you. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, uh, probably a lot more football news coming up. Basketball's over. Wrestling is over. I'll have a lot more football stuff as we're in spring ball here 
and we get uh, closer and closer to the blue-white game. As always, folks, appreciate everybody for tuning in. Thank you so much. We'll see what happens with Micah Shrewsbury here in the coming days. Should be very interesting.